How are y'all today? Good. It's a good day. Great day to be in the house of the Lord. Bible school starting tomorrow. We're all getting ready for that. I'm super excited. I hope that if you know some kids, you'll invite them. We still have some um, little postcards you could hand them or door hangers you can hand them. And we want all the kids that can come to come. We will welcome anybody that's between four years through just finished sixth grade. So, all right, let's get started this morning with Sanctuary. If you'll stand with me as we sing, please. morning. I hope that we still got some people in some Sunday school classes because there's a lot of folks I'm usually looking at that I don't see this morning. But uh, anyway, welcome. Thank you for being here. Uh, I got up this morning and I thought about, uh, you know, there's no one here that's here by accident. Uh, We made a conscious choice this morning to get up, to get ready, and to be here. And I can tell you with all certainty that God's going to honor and bless that decision because he's called us to not forsake the assembling of gathering together. Uh, That's what we're doing. That's what we're here for. And we're going to praise God with our songs, with our breaking of the word, and with our singing. So uh, thank you for coming. Thank you for being a part of that. If you will, look at uh, your bulletin with me and the announcements. Um, Can you all hear me okay? Somebody told me the other day that they couldn't hear me, but I sound awfully loud up here. Um, All the bulletin, all the announcements are in the bulletin, really, except, except for two, but there is one correction. Next Sunday, I mean, uh, I should put that on the wrong... She changed it. Uh, Father's Day is next Sunday. There's no PM services. She has Sunday, June the 16th is Vacation Bible School Family Night. That's actually Friday, I think. Is that right? Okay, so it's the, the 16th is correct, but it's going to be Friday. Uh, what's not in here, I want to remind you all, we, we started taking up an offering last week for uh, Corinne Hankins and, and, and Ernie. Uh, that money has been delivered to them, and we uh, we had already decided that there might be some who were not here last Sunday and that might want to make uh, an offering today. So 
that's why we're still still going to do this today. But if you want to make an offering, just make sure that it's designated on your check or in an envelope that says Hankins Love Offering, and it will be collected. There has been some money collected at, at at least one of the other churches that I'm aware of, and, and that's going to be delivered also. Uh, Jackie may want to say a little something about it later, but I know that she's still doing good. Uh, things have changed from what we had heard, but they still have a long road to travel, and they need our prayers uh, and support as much as ever. Um, also, I think Sylvia said that a $200 donation was made to the Sinla Pregnancy Crisis Center in honor of our mothers and fathers. Uh, rather than giving gifts and, and doing things, we've made this contribution, this donation to the Pregnancy Center. Uh, I think that's in Faraday. So uh, uh, after, uh, I want to say a few things this morning that, that uh, meant a lot to me. I've struggled with this all week, but it's pertinent to Bible school. It's pertinent to the spiritual warfare that we all deal with. So I'm going to struggle through it. Been emotional all week. You can be assured I probably will be this morning. But the first thing I want to do is uh, is get Michael to put something up on the screen. I had a PowerPoint. After I finished my Wednesday devotional, I just knew I needed to go find this survey. There's many surveys out there about salvation and, 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 and ages. And there's a little difference in, in, in most of them, but they basically are all on the same page. And I don't know if you can see this, but there's really only one important category. The ages of 4 to 14, and you can just Google that and it will bring this up. It's such an important age. 85% of people who claim to be born-again believers say they were saved in this 10 or 12-year period. 4 to 14, it's extremely important. And the, the big thing is that from 15 to 30, it drops off dramatically to 10%. And from 30 until you know when, it's only 4%. Everyone that's going to be in Bible school this week falls into that all-important category. It's a big deal. Uh, so... Anyway, uh, all of this started, as I said, Wednesday. It started with my verse of the day. And there is an associated video that accompanies the verse of the day. And a different person every day actually speaks to that verse, and they share their thoughts and their feelings about it. Uh, I've seen several people multiple times in the last four or five years. Uh, I, and I was going to mention her name anyway, but it's, it's, it's strange that uh, Corey Robinson of Duck Dynasty, I've seen her and her daughter uh, uh, talking about these, these verses of the day. She was in my verse of the day this morning. But for some reason, the man that spoke to the verse of the day Wednesday was a man named David Guzik. He's never shown up any time in the last five years that I've used this app. Uh, and that doesn't mean anything to any of y'all, probably. But he is the commentator that I've used for the last eight years to supplement my literature for Sunday school. 
Uh, I look at his words and his thoughts every week on a computer screen. But Wednesday, I actually saw his face and heard his voice. And he spoke to the verse of the day, which was actually in Romans 10:17. It's a verse everyone's familiar with. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of the Lord. He, he began by defining faith, and he, he says plenty of definitions of faith, and they're all good. But he made it so simple. He said faith is it's just simply what we uh, place our trust in, what we rely on, and what we cling to. And he went on to say that everybody's got faith. We all have it, whether we believe we got it or not, or whether it's misguided. I've heard Brother David say on several occasions, it takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a Christian. And I understand that, because they have to place their faith in knowledge or science rather than the God that created the the natural laws that our science is based on. Don't understand it, but they do it. But David Guzik made a statement that I love one-liners, and my class will tell you that. But his statement, where it, where it talks about faith coming from the, the, the Word of God, he said that it's only as we become acquainted with the Word, the word of God that we can really become acquainted with the God of the Word. The Word of God is important. It's basic. And before we can move forward to become to know God, we have to know Him from His Word because that's what He's given us as His revelation to know who He is. How are we going to know whether He's worth trusting in, depending on and clinging to, until we know who He is? So it's a big deal. That's why Bible school is so important. That's why Sunday school is important. I hope not, but there may be someone here this coming week that doesn't even own a Bible, and they may not have a parent that has shared the Word of God with them. They're going to hear it this week, promise you. Uh, they're going to hear it in Sunday school if they come. Uh, and it's that important. But... The main thing that drew me to this is that David Guzik moved into spiritual warfare, and and he tied it all together beautifully. He went straight to where our our, our theme is. I did not see this until this morning, uh, but he starts in Ephesians 6, verse 10. Uh, Michael may can get that on the screen. Uh, you see it right here. Verse 10 says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We've got that verse up here, Ephesians 6.10. And he breaks that down and he says, the word that we translate strong is oftentimes translated strengthened or as you are being strengthened. And he says, well, how do we do that? We do it in the power of his might. And what I learned, uh, I, I mentioned this in Sunday school this morning, Power and might are not the same thing. I've always just thought that they were two words that kind of meant the same thing. And he, he, he made a clear distinction. He said might is a potential. It's this vast reservoir of potential. And it's only as that potential is released does it become power that we see and that's effective. And it made me think about 
a dam holding back millions of gallons of water. And that water's just sitting back there in a resting state. It's not doing anything. But you open the gates or you let the dam break and you see the power that's released from that potential. It's the same way with us as Christians. Paul is telling the Ephesians, be strong. Be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might. And then he goes on into verse 11, and he says, And then put on the full armor of God. Uh, That's it. Our children are going to be learning about the armor. They will probably start in a few verses further down. I'm not sure what the literature is, but they're going to look at all these different pieces of armor. But I want to share two of the thoughts that that Guzik had. There's only two essentials that you have to have to go into spiritual warfare. The first one is verse 10. You've got to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Then you need to put on the armor of God. But he said far too many Christians want to jump into verse 11. They want to put on the armor of the God, put on the armor of God and start swinging the sword. Now, I don't know, but I pretty much know that there's nobody here this coming week. There's not going to be a child here this week that doesn't want to start swinging the sword immediately. I don't know any that don't like to swing the sword. But you can get into trouble if you just jump into some armor and go swinging the sword. And what Guzik is saying is that if you don't start with verse 10, you better not put the armor on to verse 11. And he gave an analogy in the in the armed services. He said if you take a a new recruit into the army that's not in very good shape and he's untrained and unprepared and undisciplined and you put the best armor available to man on him and send him into battle he's going to be defeated and it's the same thing with us the armor is important but it's not as important as the power so he made one last observation that I've never heard. You may have, but it it, it means a lot to me. He says that it's not just the armor of God. It's not like God's up in heaven and he's doling out these pieces of equipment. He doesn't have a room full of swords and a room full of helmets and a room full of breastplates. He says in a sense it's the actual armor of God. It's actually used by God. And he draws that from Isaiah verse 50, uh, chapter 59, verses 16 and 17. Uh, and I want to start in verse, actually, 15, Michael. Uh, Isaiah starts in the first 14 verses, and he's talking about the sins of Israel. And he's saying, our sins and our transgressions and our iniquities have separated us. There's a barrier between us. And we don't know what to do. And in the bottom part, the verse 15, it said, And the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no judgment. And in other translations, it says the Lord saw it, and he was upset. So he took it upon himself to go into verse 16. And... It says he, he did not see that there, he could see that there was no intercessor. There was no one able to stand in the gap. 
So he took it upon himself to bring this salvation and his righteousness, and he did that with the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness, which you see in, in verse 17. So it is the actual armor of God. And David Guzik says that this is really a foretelling or a, a vision of what Jesus actually did on the cross of Calvary. While he was on the cross and when he was in the grave before he was resurrected in the spiritual, in the physical realm, in the spiritual realm, he was putting this armor on and defeating Satan. It's already victorious. Excuse me. Our children need to understand that it's not a piece of equipment. It's already won the fight. But it has to be used with the power of God. So in conclusion, we can walk this backwards. It's not just about our children. Every one of us. we got spiritual battles we're fighting. We need the armor of God. We need the power of God. But if you're going to use the armor of God and you're going to depend upon his power, how do we get to know the God of the word? The Bible said salvation comes by grace through faith. How do we get faith? The Bible says faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by the word of God. I'm no brain surgeon, but I can see the progression. If you plan on fighting a spiritual battle with the armor of God, you got to start with the Word of God. There's no other way to get there. Our teachers are going to do a good job this week. Our Sunday school teachers are going to do a good job uh, every week. But I can tell you right now, if I can find this survey, about 85% of people being saved between the age of 4 and 14, the devil's known it for thousands of years. And if he's as clever and as crafty, and as evil as the Bible says he is, and he is, he's known this. And he knows that that's where the vast amount of his resources and efforts and time are being spent. <laughs> we may pour the Word of God into our children one hour a week. Brother, he's, he's fighting them every day. And it makes sense if he knows that there's such a narrow window for people to be saved. If he can confuse our children, if he can get them distracted, if he can keep them from coming to church, if he can keep a Bible from coming in their hands, if he can just hold them off for a few years, then they go from an 85% chance of being saved to a 10% chance of being saved. It's a big deal. Thank y'all. Pray with me. Father God, we are so thankful that you are a God of love. You've got a mercy and grace, and, and you are forgiving. And, Lord, you, you have more in store for us and more available for us that we take it, ever take advantage of. Help us, Lord, to do our part as parents and grandparents to, to use our scope of influence that you allow us to, to have to speak the word of God into our friends and our family, 
our children and our youth. And Lord, because of them hearing the word, bless them with the faith and the ability to make a conscious choice to choose you as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Lord, bless our service. Bless Brother Jesse as he breaks the word with us. Lord, we pray all these things in your name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Brother Wynn. Very good and very true, and part of the reason that we homeschool our children so that we can have the word before them all the time, whether they like it or not. (laughs) It's in everything we do, um, because that's what God put on my heart to do. But we do need to be praying for parents that are so important and some kids that don't have that support. Um, We need to step in as the church and be that for them and, and pour into these kids, not just on Sunday morning, not just at Bible school, but throughout the whole year, every day that we can. Um, Let's continue our worship this morning with 581, hymn 581, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. We'll sing the first, second, and last verses. grace to trust him more because we can trust him but do we trust him with everything every breath that we have every meal that we have i think sometimes we trust in our own selves to provide but we need to know that we can trust completely in jesus for everything hymn 552 i am thine O lord first second and last of it as well
sing hymn 526, The Solid Rock. Would you stand with me as we sing the first, second, and last verses of it as well, please?
Well, good morning to y'all. Glad to see everyone here. We are here. <laughs> I can't tell you how excited I am about that. Uh, we're tired, but thank the Lord for His blessings and grace. So let's get right into the Word this morning. I appreciate the words uh, about the armor of God and the age group because I wholeheartedly agree with that. I've been saying for a long time, you know, the older we get, and and science has proven that, you know, the older we get, the more difficult it tends to be to change our mind about things. Um, we were blessed in some ministries that Debbie and I have been involved in, in some church replants and restarts and things like that, we, uh, how was uh, Brother Ed, uh, not Eddie, he was in his 80s. We baptized an 80, I think he was about 85, something like that, and um, just got gloriously saved. Not saying that can happen, but I'm just saying that it's less likely and then it's all proven. What you saw just when we're young, you know, and our mind is fresh and and we're growing and learning and all that, it's just so much easier. Uh, I could get off into the communists and the things they've said about, you know, taking kids uh, until they're five years old and we'll give them back to you. But we've talked about that, and we'll get into it in Proverbs. Um, train up a child in the way that he should go when he's old, he won't depart from it. And the tradition, the Jewish tradition that goes with that, I think I've mentioned it to you before, and I'll mention it again. A vessel uh, tends to retain the savor of that with which it was first seasoned. That's what the Jews always said. And, you know, I told you the story about the orange juice and the water jug and stuff that I had because whatever seasons that vessel vessel first tends to stay with it and the the meaning there of course is what Wynn was saying you know our children just reaching them young why do you think and I'm, I'm not challenging you right here directly but there are people who are going to be listening and watching why would anyone think you know they don't go sit in the college libraries and all that crazy garb and try to change their minds about things. They want to go sit all dressed up crazy and stupid in these little kids' libraries and, you know, with all that ridiculous garb that they're wearing and try to change their minds and plant seeds of evil in their minds. Yes, I'm, I'm getting controversial, but because I'm, I'm passionate about that kind of stuff. Don't mess with my kids. <laughs> you can mess with me. <laughs> I'm big enough to fight you all, but don't mess with my kids. You know, they're precious, they're tender, and I thank God for everybody that's going to be involved with this Bible school. I thank you, God for the teachers and all the volunteers and all those that have been working hard and preparing. Tonight we're going to do something uh, special. We're going to uh, have a prayer walk, and we're, 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 that's, that's going to kind of be tonight, okay? We're going to pray. For God to do something great in these kids. Man, I got excited about that. Okay? So let me get going with the message before I go too far and take up all my time. John chapter 2. 
John chapter 2. Last week we talked about not being able to see the grapes for the grapevine, or not being able to say the grape the grapevine for the grapes rather. And today we're going to start reading in twelve, John chapter two, verse twelve. Verse twelve just kind of lets us know there's a there's a break in time here. After this, Jesus went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and there they stayed a few days. Now, between that and verse 13 is probably more than just simply a few days past time, but probably more like a few months. Um, Because verse 13 tells us, and the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, notice quickly. And you'll notice when we go to Exodus in a few moments, I want to show you some things because I want to tie, I love tying Old Testament with the New Testament and let you see that it's not just a book that somebody wrote, okay? I want you to see that. That If you don't see anything else, I want you to see that. But here he calls it, John calls it the Passover of the Jews. You'll find in Exodus that it was the Lord's Passover and it was appropriate that it be called this because it become little more than a religious ceremony and just something that the, the, the people were doing just because it was supposed to be done without a whole lot of passion and, and meaning. In verse, verse 14, And Jesus found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers seated. And he made a scourge of cords and drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who were selling the doves, he said, take these things away. Stop making my father's house a house of merchandise. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for thy house will consume me. That comes from Psalm 69 verse 9. Jesus therefore answered and said to him, What sign, the Jews, I'm sorry, the Jews therefore answered and said to him, What sign do you show us seeing that you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews said it took 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. <coughs> And when therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. Yes, the word of God. Just like it's already been said, that's how we're going to get to know God. We get to know God by his word. That's why the devil wants to discredit this book. And that's why I'm so adamant to share with people and help do my best to, to, to make it evident to people this was not, as one student I had said, another book that somebody wrote. If you have two brain cells to rub together, you can figure out pretty quickly that this was far, far more than just a book that somebody wrote. Because as we, if you follow this and you follow these messages all through this thing, you're going to understand that there's been stuff that's been prophesied a long time ago that's taking place now. There's no way that one person could, should, could just dig all that stuff up 
and just make a book. I mean, it just, it's just not happening. You're not going to convince me that. As as I said earlier, and I've said before, it takes a whole lot more. You know, you got to have a whole lot more faith. David said that. Uh, I've been saying it a long time. you got to have a whole lot more faith to believe all the garbage that, you know, the, the world spouts out. Atheism and, and all this kind of stuff. Um, evolution, you know. Billions and billions of Carl Sagan years, you know, of, of, of evolution and all this kind of, you gotta, man, you gotta have a big old faith to believe that kind of stuff. And it's simple faith to believe God. But it begins by His Word. And the devil is after His Word, and I'm here to do the best that I can. I'm just one person, but I'm gonna do the best that I can to show you so you'll have some ammunition and you put on the armor of God, you'll have some ammunition to take out there with you to say, no, no, no. Let me show you what it says, okay? Because we're, we're called to give an account of the faith and the trust and the excitement that's within us. And we're supposed to do that. We're supposed to be able to account for that. We're supposed to be able to say to people when they say this, why do you believe those things? Well, let me tell you why I believe those things. And take them to the Scripture and show them and let the Holy Spirit speak to their hearts because that's the way it's supposed to go now let's get to the cleansing of the temple the title of the day is eaten up with it the, the being consumed with passion or the zeal of God and that's what Jesus was and it was also to fulfill Psalm 69 9 where he said that the zeal of the Lord hath eaten me up it says in one place and that's what we're talking about today being eaten up with it <laughs> there's no term we used to say of being ignorant you know when we were kids you'd be just eating up with ignorance you know well this is eating up with the passion of God why is all this significant well a few months later than what had happened at Cana more than likely within the first year or a little you know a few months or almost a year later we're finding ourselves in the middle of what we know is the month of April somewhere in that that area is the time when the 14th of the month of Nisan. Now, if you remember, we talked about that some time ago. So hopefully you made notes and, and we, we find out that the Passover took place. Or more specifically, we're going to find out today the day of preparation, which is the, the 14th of Nisan. That's the day... As we said earlier, that Christ died on the cross. We're going to get more specific about the time on that. He died on the cross on the 14th of Nisan in the Jewish calendar. We're going to look at the time. We're also going to find here, and we do find right here, that Jesus is in the temple in Jerusalem on guess what date? The 14th of Nisan. This is the day as he walked into Jerusalem in the temple, not one of the synagogues out in the smaller towns, but in the temple in Jerusalem, he walks in there on the day of preparation and makes himself a little old cow whip and brother puts some animals to flight. Now I've tore up some cowboy hats hitting 
horses and cows on the backside, you know, and learned not to do that because I messed up so many hats, you know, hitting them and stuff. And I learned to get me a little old thing and pop them, you know. But I mean, growing up around that kind of stuff, you know. But the Lord made him a little whip. And we've wondered a whole lot of times, I don't know if you have, but I have, wondered what, what the significance of all this was. And I believe we can see some very important things here. So he goes to the temple, and he finds people that are selling oxen and sheep and doves, and he made him a scourge of cords and drove them out. I want you to see the difference here between what he did with the larger animals and what he did, before I forget about it, with the doves. Now the significance with the doves is this. If you couldn't afford any of these animals for sacrifice for your sins, you could go capture a couple of doves and bring them in and offer them. That was for the poor people. So everybody, uh, you know, cows are not cheap now. Oxen are not cheap now. You know, these other things are not, you know, you can't just, I bought a few cows in my day. I mean, they're not cheap. I got out of the cattle business a long time ago because I just, I just couldn't keep up with that stuff. I just don't want to be anyway. But my, what I'm saying is, even the poorest of the poor could get their hands on, with a little bit of effort, they could get their hands on a couple of doves and bring them to be sacrificed for the sins that they'd committed. Now, there was a temple tax, and it was a half shekel uh, of silver, and the Jews wanted that half shekel of silver to be the only thing that went in the till, okay? So, they set up this thing. It may, and I'm, being, I'm just trying to be fair, it may have started out as a really good idea. Well, we got people coming from all over the country, because every Jew was required to come to the three of those feasts, the Tabernacles and the Feast of, uh, I'm trying to remember what the other one was, and the, and the Passover. They were required to come to this, but you had to come to the Passover. Okay, that was just something as a Jew you were required to do. So, they'd come from all over the country, and they had their own money. And y'all ever traveled, and you go, and maybe, let's just say to Mexico, just because it's close. Have you ever changed your money over into pesos and then changed them back? Have you ever gone to any other country and changed your money over and at the airport you change your money back? Well, sometimes you'll go to a country and your money might be worth a little more than their money, you know. For instance, just not picking on anybody, I'm just simply using this as an example because it's close by. You can make money up here in the, in the United States of America and take that U.S. dollar and take it to Mexico, for instance, and change that to pesos, and you're a rich dude in their economy. Just, I'm just, I'm just saying. It's just for the sake of this right here. So it is possible to kind of profit a little bit, you know, in some of this. They, they were exchanging money for people because they wanted to put in the proper tax. They also were bringing animals into the courts, which used to be done across the Kidron Valley in another location down there, quite a little bit away from the temple. That exchange used to be down there. Cause so if you came in from uh, some other country, 
and you were coming to Jerusalem as a good Jew to observe the Passover, and you didn't have the convenience or the capability of bringing your animal for sacrifice, there was one to be purchased. It was available, you know, for a nominal fee. You could purchase an animal to pay, to have uh, sacrificed for your sins, okay, as part of the ritual. And they were making it convenient. The simple thing of it was, it may have started well, but it turned out to be a profitable thing. Everybody that I've read after believes. Not only a profitable thing, but it also tended to make things a little bit too easy. Now, I've read after some people that have said the very same thing. And making religion too easy sometimes can be a little bit of a problem. And I see that happening today. Now, I see things and I observe things, so that's just who I am. You know, it's easy believism, easy this, easy come, easy go. Like I told the boys, you know, I told them, hey, easy come, easy go. The reason people waste their money, because sometimes it didn't cost them anything. They got it too easy. That's why all these dudes out here selling dope on the corners, you know, it's easy come, easy go. All I got to do, man, is go out there and sell some drugs. Well, you go on ahead, and then you make all these thousands of dollars, and then you go down to that place where the girls, you know, and, and you sit there and throw your money at them and stuff like that. It's easy come, easy go. If you didn't have to work for it, you didn't appreciate it. When I was a kid... My first car was one of the ugliest things you've ever seen in your life. It was a 1961, I believe it was 61 or 62, I believe it was a 61 Ford Falcon. It was ugly. Not just picking on Ford, it was just ugly. It was, it was supposed to be white. And I think Daddy or somebody he got it from had tried to repaint it with a paintbrush. That kind of ugly, you know. Not spray paint. Oh, no. No, we're not even talking about, you know, the, 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 the wonderful talent of spray painting something. We're talking about taking a paintbrush and painting the thing. It was a three-speed on the column. And I guarantee you there are very few people in this room probably know what I'm talking about. Three-speed on the column. Had a clutch. You know? It was ugly. Wasn't nothing fancy. Wasn't nothing hot rod about it. There wasn't nothing cool about it. But it, was, it would go. It would crank and it would go. I think it was a six-cylinder. And uh, Daddy told me, he said, well, I'll tell you what, here's the deal. You can have this car, but it needs a clutch and a pressure plate. And guess what? You got to buy them and you got to put it in. All I had was maybe a screwdriver. <laughs> you know? I said, I don't have any tools. He said, you can use my tools, but you got to keep up with them and put them back. Clean them up and put them back. Yeah, okay, all right. I said, Daddy, I've never changed clutch pressure plate. He said, I'll, I will coach you through it. I'm not doing it for you, but you're going to do it. But I'll tell you how. Okay. So we jacked the thing up, made sure it was safe, blocked it up real nice and all this kind of stuff. So... If you've never done any of this kind of, well, we didn't have concrete with creepers. You know, oh, no, 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 no. We had maybe a piece of plywood, if you was lucky. If not, it was an old tarp that you threw down, a canvas tarp. And you scooted under there in the hot sun underneath that car that was jacked up enough. And you commenced to taking the transmission loose. 
Okay, the transmission on that's not real heavy, but it's not real light either. You take the transmission out, and then you can get to the part where the clutch and the pressure plate are. Okay, well, that wasn't too bad. He told me how to do all that. I sweated. I had grease. You wouldn't even hardly know who I was. And I sweated and worked on that thing, got that, put the clutch and pressure plate back in there. Now comes the fun part. He forgot to tell me this part till the last. There's a little spline there on that thing that when you stab that transmission, 99.9 out of 100, it doesn't go in the first time. Probably not the first 10 times. They've got little fancy things now where they can line it all up, you know, and make it all work. Then it was all just me. So I was out there. You know what? It went in. (laughs) It went in pretty easy, and I was like, did I do something wrong? He goes, count your blessings, boy. Bolt that thing up. We bolted that thing up, boys. Anyway, many hours later, a lot of busted fingers and stuff like that. I worked for that car. And you know what? That thing was ugly as homemade sin. But I liked that car because you know why? I had something invested in it. It was mine. It was worth about 50 bucks. That's about what it's worth. That's about what it cost me. I mean, in those days, we're talking the early 70s here. So it wasn't a whole lot, but it was mine. And I came in every day, pardon all the personal examples here, but I'm just telling you what happened. I came in, I had about 15 or 20 minutes to make sure I had my homework done, and most of it I did at school anyway, you know, in study hall. We actually had study hall, recess and stuff, real real actual recess. I'd get my stuff done. At that, that wasn't a big deal. But by the time Daddy got home, we went down to the garden You'd call it a truck farm now. And we hoed and pulled weeds and farmed and did those kind of things. We fed cows. You know, we took care of business. And then if there was any time left later on, I had some time to go do some things of my own. So I got the blessing privilege of growing up where something cost me a little something. And, and, and I appreciated it because it wasn't free. It wasn't easy come, easy go. Today, a lot of times, people may be meaning well, maybe meaning well. And something was said about Sunday school and how important that is. A lot of churches nowadays, you have a sanctuary. You don't have any study places. You don't have any Sunday school. You don't have educational buildings, you know. And, and I'm not just being mean. I'm just simply saying... I. Baptists are some of the last, I believe, that still have educational buildings. And sometimes we just kind of minimize Sunday school. and how The importance of that is so, so important. It's so important to have educational time. That's our discipleship. It should be a much of our discipleship. But it's great to go to church and get excited and have fun and praise the Lord and shout and hallelujah. And I, man, I, I'm all for that. Let's go. But just as important is that founding, that being rooted and grounded in that in the Word. That's important. Okay. So they made they made religion easy, and therefore it tended to become cheap. Okay, And that's the bad result of something getting too easy. It becomes cheap. Because once it's not worth anything to us, you know, it's just like, hey, no big deal. And somebody has said, and I've seen this on Facebook a few times, if, if uh, church is optional for us, 
it's probably going to be not an option at all for our kids. That's a slap right there because we need, I had a drug problem when I was a kid. I was drugged to Sunday school. I was drugged to church. I was drugged to Wednesday night, Sunday night. Oh, yeah, man. I started going to church nine months before I discovered America. Yes, sir. Yeah. And the preachers preached over the kids. They'd have pallets in the back somewhere down there, you know. We didn't have a cry room. No, they had a place behind the pews back there, and they'd lay some of the kids down and let them sleep. You think that didn't? Listen, man, even when you're sleeping, you're hearing things. I'm convinced of that. I believe being in the presence of the worship of God is important. And I believe that even the kids that got laid down for a nap back there, they, they knew somehow in their mind, they knew God was in that place and the word was going out and being preached. And I learned how to preach over crying kids. That don't bother me. I told you the story I probably did about one in God bless his family. Because I'll say his name because I love that youngin. He's not a youngin anymore. He's he's grown man, but he's you know got some special needs, and his name's Canyon, and he was rightly named because he sat right here on the front pew, and he repeated everything I said while I was preaching. <laughs> At least the important part of the sentence. <laughs> That's a little distracting at first. <laughs> I got to miss Canyon after a while because Canyon would say it back to me. Boy, he kept me straight. It's like I was preaching. I learned how to preach where they'd interpret into another language, you know, because you got to say something and let them interpret, say something and let them interpret. I learned how to do that from Canyon. <laughs> Love that child. Oh, he's precious. He loved the Lord, too, but he would sure preach. Listen, man, there's just a lot of stuff. Everything's not always easy and cheap. It's got to be something that, that costs us in our spirits. Well, the Lord cleansed the temple on the day that they should have been preparing for His coming. Okay? I also want you to note here, let me get on with this. I want you to note here that the day He actually was crucified was on this same date. Okay? Now, turn with me real quickly to Exodus 12. Hold your finger there. We've been over here before. Exodus 12, and I'm going to kind of move on here so we can finish. We'll cover some other details that we might miss later. Exodus chapter 12, your finger's still in John 2. All right, so look what he said here. We've read this before. We're going to read it again. Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this Month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, they will take one, uh, take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's household, a lamb for each household. Now, I'm going to paraphrase the rest of that for time's sake. Remember, if it was a very small household, sometimes they would join efforts and have a lamb they would keep that lamb remember we talked about this earlier they'd keep it in the home for four days and then on the 14th of nisan this month he's talking about here they would slay that lamb this was what was happened in egypt and they took the blood and put it on the doorpost on the outside set the basin in front of the door closed the door and stayed put because the angel of the lord was coming over 
And brother, I'm going to tell you right now, there wasn't any peeking out the window. That you don't mess around when God's angels come to take care of business. That is a, whew, you just thank God you're not part of what's ever happening outside. And that's what took place here. Because the angel of death came over and he slayed everything, slew everything in Egypt. Just, you know, just like God said, you know, just according to what he said. All right. But he said in verse 5, An unblemished male of a year, and you shall take it from the sheep or from the goats, and keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. My version says, literally in the Hebrew, it says, between the evenings. Now there have been a little bit of difference of opinion about what this actually meant. What we consider twilight, as some of the versions say, is the part between the setting of sun and actual dark, which it might be an hour, hour and 15, 20 minutes, something like that, depending on where you are, you know. Some people have interpreted it as being that, being twilight, what we call twilight or the dusk of the evening. But whatever... There, there was another one that said when the sun began to leave its zenith, in other words, kind of mid-afternoon until the setting of the sun. Because you see, 6 o'clock, according to the Jews in that evening, began the next day. We're going to see here in just a moment in Luke what that had to do with Jesus on the cross. I, I think it's important for us to see all of these things so that we see the message here today is that you're seeing more than just one spot with a verse taken out of the context or something. You're seeing the whole Word of God come together. That's what I do. That's my thing. And that's, that's, that's to me, the most important part of this, letting God talk to you. So what does that mean from its zenith, you know, from up high, from mid-afternoon, you might say? Now, this became practically became a, an issue later in the temple when it, you had multiple offerers of sacrifices and it was being done in that time. So if you considered twilight from sunset to dark, you know, an hour, if it was an hour and a half even, if it was that long, you, man, that's cutting it short for, you know, sacrificing these lambs. So they tended to take the other translation of the mid-afternoon approximately 3 o'clock in the evening to about 6 o'clock in the evening because it gave them more time in the temple to, and they felt like they were going with the word, you know, it's just that ter- interpretation of what between the evenings meant literally in the, uh, in, in the Hebrew. And I think you'll see what I'm talking about here in just a second. I mean, if you've got a lot of, uh, of animals to sacrifice and the many people doing so, you need a little more time. So they tended to take that interpretation. So let's turn to Luke. Let's see what Luke has to say. If I can find my spot here. I get to looking things up and I forget where I left those things. Luke. uh, Y'all bear with me here one second. Yes, 
Luke chapter 23. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry about the delay there. <laughs> I get so fired up about this stuff, I forget which chapter it was in that I looked at. Luke chapter 23. We're going to look into a little bit more detail here. All right, so we're finding Jesus on the cross in Luke chapter 23. Now we're going to find the two that were hanging beside the Lord, on either side of the Lord. One was uh, verse 40, rebuking him. Uh, No, one was saying, are you not the Christ in verse 39? Excuse me, save us, yourself and us. Verse 40, we find, but the other answered and rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? (laughs) Different attitudes right there. Two different men besides Jesus dying on the cross with him, beside him, and they had two totally different attitudes. Okay, One was saying, hey man, if you're who you say you are, uh, I think that gives us a big picture of the world, doesn't it? You know, if you are who you say you are, man, show it. Prove it, you know. That's what the world seems to be saying. The other one says, man, shut up. Shut your mouth. You're dying. You, This man don't deserve what he's dying for. You and I do. He had a totally different mindset. Verse 41, And we indeed justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man, talking about Jesus, has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, truly I say to you, today, today, he shall be with me in paradise. Now let me just say quickly, he didn't get baptized He didn't go to seminary. He didn't even walk down the aisle of a church. He didn't get discipled. He didn't get any of those things. He didn't even know what Sunday school was. But thank God, and this is an exception here, but thank God Jesus said to him because of the attitude of his heart, today, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. (laughs) I wish I had time to spend on that. That's exciting. I get excited about that. Oh, Lord, he's there simply. He wasn't even a Baptist. Didn't have any idea what denomination was or any of that kind of stuff. Just confessing to Christ. All right, now, let me get to the point. Verse 44. And it was now about the sixth hour. Now, what does that mean? The sixth hour of the day, that's about noon, okay? And darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. And that's, that's not just my opinion. That comes from the, you know, the traditions and interpretations uh, that took place. Until the ninth hour, okay? There was darkness over the face of the earth but from about noon to about three o'clock. And just putting it in our terms. Why this? Why did this take place? Well, the whole world, the whole universe that this man who was dying on the cross had created with his own word was dying on the cross. And it's natural for the whole universe to just go into darkness because its creator was giving his life for that which he had created, which man 
had done, which man had sinned. Now, the 14th, the day of preparation, you'll find this down here. You'll find it in Paul's writing, and you're going to find it here. The sun being, verse 45, being obscured and the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. And Jesus crying out with a loud voice saying, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. The ninth hour, I'm going to move on here quickly, but the ninth hour was around 3 p.m. On the 14th of Nisan, the day of preparation for the Passover, the Exodus lambs were beginning to be sacrificed beginning around 3 p.m. on the 14th day of Nisan. Man... If that don't get you excited, I don't know what it would take. This was not an accident. This is not just a book somebody wrote. He was doing exactly what the Scripture had predicted that he would do. And he gave his life at the beginning of the time when the ultimate sacrifice, which was himself, was to be sacrificed on the day of preparation for the Passover. He is the Passover lamb. Praise the Lord. Man, I got fired up when I saw that. None of that just happened. None of it's just an accident. It's just exactly the way God intended it to be. Praise the Lord. Okay, I'm going to have to end there. Man, he cleansed the temple because it had just become a ritual. And he was... The sacrifice they had made religion cheap and easy. And I pray we don't do that today. I pray we help people understand they got to give their heart and life to God. It's not easy to be a Christian. It's simple. You come to Jesus. The Holy Spirit draws you. You come to Jesus, ask Him to save you. He does. Absolutely. Without any reservations he will save you if you really mean it he will save you you're saved you're his child but if you think it's going to be a bed of roses i got news for you it's not but i tell you something else nothing worth having is ever just easy come easy go we got somebody we can go to we got somebody we can lean on we got somebody we can pray to and ask to help us. Because now that you know Christ, it's a growth in your life. Begin to grow. Because now comes that part where you begin to grow as a person. You begin to grow spiritually. You even begin to grow emotionally. And psychologically, in a lot of other ways, because that maturity begins to come along. You know, have you ever seen someone who was grown in their body but immature on their inside? That's not normal. That's not the way it's supposed to be. I've seen a lot of Christians that were 
long in the tooth, but yet they were short in their understanding of Christ and their understanding of God. That's not the way it was intended to be. Paul talked about one of the early messages I preached here was to present us complete, complete, mature in Him. Getting saved and beginning to grow in Christ. That's why it's so important. I wonder if you've ever given your heart and life to Jesus. If you would stand with me, please. I'm going to ask you this morning, if you've never trusted Him, that you'd make this the day that you'd get that right. One verse. We're going to have one verse. See you back this evening. Hope you have a wonderful afternoon. Brother George Cooper, would you dismiss this, please?